How can we protect ourselves against the spiritual distractions and deceptions we face in our lives? Author Elisa Childers is here to help us answer this and other questions on A View from the Wall. Join I Am A Watchman Ministries Managing Editor Joe Kerr with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be watchmen. This is A View From The Wall. Welcome to A View From The Wall. I'm Dylan Burroughs here today with co-host Joseph Kerr, and we have an amazing program for you today. Elisa Childers is a wife, a mom, a speaker, and author of the book Another Gospel with the subtitle A Lifelong Christian Seeks Truth in Response to Progressive Christianity. The book includes a foreword by the Case for Christ bestselling author Lee Strobel as well. We're excited to join you today, Lisa. Welcome to A View from the Wall. Hey guys, so glad to be with you. Yes, well, when you were on the program with this last time, it really resonated with a lot of people. We talked about your book, Progressive Christianity, and how the church has come to believe many lies and question many things that are true. You also did a podcast more recently talking about deception. We'd like to dig a little bit deeper into that. So let's start with a definition, shall we? What does it mean biblically to talk about deception? Yeah, so this is this is a confusing question I think for a lot of people because I think sometimes people think that every kind of uh deception is necessarily wrong, but you know, when you go to ethics classes you learn that, you know, hey, if you were a Christian in Nazi Germany and you were hiding Jews in your closet and the Gestapo came by and said, "Hey, are you hiding Jews in your closet?" like it would actually be righteous to lie in that situation. So there are times when you know, deception can kind of go either way. But I think when we talk about it in a in the biblical context, as far as being led astray by ideas, doctrines, teachings that are false about God, you know, I think that that would be the broad sort of definition of deception. And interestingly, it's something that the New Testament talks about quite consistently. It's, it is pretty much a major theme in the New Testament, where these New Testament writers are continually sort of warning Christians to watch out for false teachers, false teachings, false prophets, any kind of ideas that are going to cause us to drift away from what's true. And so it's a huge theme in the New Testament and something that Christians, I think, need to take extremely seriously. I like that you took it back to the biblical examples. And of course, it starts with the very first book of the Bible with deception, where Satan deceived Eve and Adam, and that all started with a question, did God really say? And we see Satan use questions in other areas. Give us an idea. Are there some deceptive questions that people are struggling with these days? Yeah, and I think that's a really good point that you bring out, because often when we think about deception or believing something false, we tend to think, well, you can't deceive somebody with a question. But you actually can. You can you can ask a question in a way that can actually lead somebody to come to a false conclusion. You can actually use true words to have the end goal of deceiving someone, and someone actually can be deceived, even if all the words that you're using are technically true. And so I, there's a couple of, of examples, I think, that we could look at for this. The one is the one you brought up, which, of course, we have in Genesis 3, we have Eve in the garden, and the serpent opens with that question, did God really say? So the first point of that deception starts 
with a questioning of God's word. Like, does God really, did he really say that? Is that? Could that really be something that God would say? And what's really interesting, what happens in that story is he's taking what God worded as a positive. You may freely eat from all the trees in the garden. But then he says, except for this one. And Satan sort of twists that and makes it into a negative thing. So did God actually say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Then if we go to another time when the serpent was trying to tempt somebody, we go to Jesus in the wilderness. And of course, the devil quotes scripture accurately to Jesus in order to tempt him. And of course, he's taking it out of context and all of that. But it's just interesting the way the tactics go it always sort of centers around what God has said. And uh, I, I think that's a really good starting place for us to begin to think about this topic of deception. Well, it's a great example you gave with Jesus and being tempted in the wilderness that Satan used scripture to present something in a way that was deceiving and deceptive. We see that still today in our churches and among Christians where good things are presented out of context to deceive. What are some examples that we see perhaps today in churches? Mm. Oh my goodness, there's so many, especially in, you know, because I, I generally am interacting with and sort of trying to refute this movement of progressive Christianity. And there are so many uh, reinterpretations, uh, revisionist history, all kinds of things that are happening in that movement. A lot of progressive Christians will take the scripture that have to do with the holiness of God and how our sin actually causes an alienation of, between us and God. The Bible says that by nature, we're enemies of God, children of wrath, uh, that sort of thing. And they'll, they'll reinterpret some of those scriptures to get to the point to where they'll say, you know what, your sin actually doesn't separate you from God. You're not separated from God. Um, all you need to do is just realize how beloved you are and, and that God would never separate himself from you. And so that can be one that uh, could be, you know, one of those kind of modern interpretations. Of course, I think we see a lot of reinterpretation and, and faulty interpretations around biblical sexuality. I, partic- I, I, I know of one particular pastor in a progressive church who told a parishioner that she had permission to sleep with her boyfriend because what the Bible forbids is the Greek word uh, porneia. And now pornea, there's a lot of scholarship on that word, but generally speaking, where scholars are at today is that that's really kind of referring to any illicit sex, so any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage. But he twisted that to say, well, pornea is where we get pornography. So as long as it's not, you know, like, you know, if it's monogamous, if it's committed, if it's loving, then it's okay. But if it's more like what you find in pornography, it's not okay. And I think we see a lot of sort of faulty interpretations using the actual words of a scripture though but to interpret it in a faulty way to bring somebody to a deceptive conclusion we've been talking with elisa childers today we'll be right back stay with us here on a view from the wall from i am a watchman ministries here's today's i am a watchman minute the antidote to fear is trust when trust in god fills our minds fear cannot fill our hearts Trust, believe that God is working out His perfect plan for you and for this world. When things were difficult for me, God led me to this verse in Psalm 27. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
The verse reminds me that God is working, that I can and should have hope, that I can and will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living if I look with eyes of faith. Trust God when times are good and when they're not. Believe He has a plan, that He is our hope, and that He is coming again. Be bold. Be faithful. Be a watchman. Iamawatchman.com Welcome back to A View from the Wall. As we continue our conversation today with Elisa Childers, we want to take a look at last day's deceptions in the church. If you've listened to this program much before, you realize that one of the things we try to do is to equip the watchmen and the watchwomen who listen regarding some of the teachings we see in our society that are contrary to the scriptures. A good example historically is there's Orwell's 1984, where he describes a deceptive technique called doublethink, where the ruling elites said one thing but meant something entirely different. Now, Lisa, I'm going to let you answer this. Do you think there's doublethink in the church as well? And if so, what does it look like today? Oh, my goodness. Yes, there's so much doublespeak. Uh, I think that as a result of postmodernism and a lot of the deconstruction of language that started to emerge in the 60s through philosophers like Jacques Derrida and Foucault, I think that that is happening in the church to a great degree. And and again, just in the context of progressive Christianity, we see this in cults as well, cults like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness, where they'll use words like Trinity. And it's the same uh, it's the same vocabulary. I've heard somebody word it this way. It's like the same vocabulary, but a different dictionary. So they'll be using a lot of the same words, but with different meanings. And one of the things I've come across a lot in the progressive movement is even the concept of the Bible being divinely inspired. When we think of the Bible being divinely inspired, of course, this comes from the Greek, and I'm going to do a terrible job of pronouncing it, but it's Theosdanus. Okay, so any Greek scholars are probably laughing right now how I pronounce that. But it's one Greek word that's translated into English as God breathed. This is where we, this is how biblical inspiration is defined that God's word is breathed out by God, it assumes the highest level of authority. But in the progressive movement, the Bible being inspired, they'll say, yes, the Bible is divinely inspired. But it means something entirely different than that kind of historic understanding of biblical inspiration that comes with this sense of authority and infallibility. But in the progressive movement, it's it's redefined to mean something a little more along the lines of, well, it's something that God makes inspiring to you. It inspires you to know God and to walk with him or something along those lines. And, you know, that's sort of taking a, a, a faulty definition of the word divinely inspired to, to make it mean something entirely different, but they can still at the same time affirm that they believe the same thing is true. I think we see that also with the word love. The Bible has a very specific definition of what love is. First of all, it's an attribute of God, so it's who God is. It's his very nature and character. And as we see that revealed through Scripture, of course, Paul telling us in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. We love, we love all that, those parts of it. But he goes on and he says, love cannot rejoice in wrongdoing. Love rejoices in the truth. And I think that our culture has redefined the word love. And then in the church as well, people begin to adopt the cultural definition of the, of the word love, which today really means something more along the lines of 
affirming and celebrating whatever anyone else wants to do or say or believe and to disagree or to express disagreement would be intolerant, which is another word that gets to make over because tolerance classically means that you have to disagree with somebody in order to tolerate what they're saying. It just means you disagree, but you respect their right to say it. But in our culture, tolerance now kind of along the lines of love means celebrating and affirming someone else's opinion or behavior, even you know, even if secretly inside, you might not approve or disagree. You can't express that, which is actually the opposite of what tolerance is actually all about. So I think we do see a lot of this double speak, And that's why people, I think Christians have to be very vigilant when we're in discussions with other Christians, you know, to ask them, what, what, how do you define these words? When you talk about biblical inspiration, what do you mean by that? When we talk about the Bible being authoritative, what do we mean by that? If you want to describe the Bible as God's word, what do you mean by that? And I think that that's probably the most important question we can be asking these days. One of the classic discussions of deception came in Matthew 24 and in Luke where it's recorded as well when the disciples asked Christ about signs for the time when he would return. And he had told them, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. And they said, what will be the signs of your coming? When he answered that question, he didn't launch into all of the signs. He started with the very important statement, be careful that you're not deceived. So mm. what was Jesus saying there when he said deception is a part of understanding the last days? Right. Yeah, that is the key question. He, you know, Jesus goes on in that, in that passage to say, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. I mean, he could not be more explicit. This is not some kind of vague like, here's what might happen. You know, somebody might try to redefine words. He's saying like, no, people are going to come in my name. They're going to, they're not going to be heathens. They're not going to be atheists. They're going to be people who say, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm a Christian. And they're going to be saying, uh, I am the Christ. And they're going to lead many astray. And it's so ironic to me that today, one of the biggest deceptions, especially in the progressive Christian church is this idea of the universal Christ, which actually at the end of the game of that teaching is for you to say, I am the Christ. And for me to say to the two of you, you are the Christ. And it's just something that is so clearly something that Jesus predicted. And then Jesus goes on to give the, you know, some uh, signs to look for when before he returns. But there's an interesting thing he says as well in Matthew 7. Matthew 7 is such a rich chapter when it comes to Jesus' view on some of these things, this is, of course, the famous chapter where uh, Jesus says, judge not, lest you be judged. But if you go a little further, um, you know, Jesus is talking about wolves that are going to be coming in sheep's clothing. So again, these are not outsiders. These aren't people who are hardened atheists. These are people saying, no, we're, we're in your churches. Uh, we're, we're part of, we're, we're of you, we're part of what you've got going on here. And I think that's why it can be uh, so much more deceptive because it's kind of, it's easier to, you know, to blow off what an atheist is saying, but if it's a pastor or it's a fellow Christian that you've been in small group with for 10 years, um, that can be a lot more difficult to sort of parse through. 
Well, you're exactly right. And one thing that people often get confused is the source of authority doesn't always mean the authority is correct. And that could be a church leader who affirms something that's not biblically accurate, another influence in your life, a parent or a friend or another influencer out there on YouTube or the internet that says something that sounds so good that you fall into the deception, whether it's biblically accurate or not. These are the kind of things we are talking about. And as people look to other sources of truth instead of the scripture, God's Word, the Bible that's divinely inspired as we've talked about, these are the kind of deceptions we will run into. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about this as we continue our conversation with Elisa Childers. We'll be right back with more on A View from the Wall. The Bible predicts the rapture of the church is coming. Are you ready? Soon many will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Only they will escape the dark days that are coming, a time of tribulation that will usher in the Antichrist and great destruction upon the entire earth. There's only one escape, one way, one light, one truth. His name is Jesus. He came and died so that we may live forever with Him. But to receive this new life, there are three things we must do the ABCs of salvation. A. Admit you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. Ask for forgiveness and receive His grace. B. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came, lived, died, rose again, and will come again. Believe that He is Lord and God. C. Commit to walk His path, the path He wants you to walk, and walk it out by faith. Then you'll be ready for the return of the Lord. To learn more about the rapture and how to know for sure, visit amiraptureready.org. Welcome back to A View from the Wall. In our conversation with Elisa Childers in this segment, we want to talk about some of the applications of the discussion we've been having today and also connect it with some of the last day challenges we face as watchmen or watchwomen. And as we go more into the discussion, I want to recommend your book again. It's such a good one. Another Gospel has a foreword by Lee Strobel, best-selling author of The Case for Christ, and it unearths and unpacks some of these spiritual deceptions that we've talked about here today. Such a provocative but needed book at this time. As we continue our discussion, Elisa, how can people recognize when they are being deceived spiritually? Talk a little bit about that. Oh, see, that's the toughest question, because if you're deceived, you don't know you're being deceived, right? It's like the, yes. the hard question. Maybe we should talk about defense against the deceptions. Yes. Well, because I think that's the thing is like, um, you don't know you're deceived if you're deceived, which is why decide, like you mentioned the source of authority. That's why it's so important for Christians to view the Bible as our source for our authority, because there can be endless amount of ways by which we can be deceived. One of the things that fascinates me is uh, cult mentality. So I'll, you know, in my free time, I, I like to kind of study some of the, the cults and particularly did a deep dive on the Jonestown cult one time a few years ago. And it's fascinating to me because if you listen to Jim Jones, the the leader of that cult, of course, you know, that's the one where they, they all drank the it actually wasn't Kool-Aid. I believe it was flavor aid, but it was laced with cyanide and this mass. Um, well, really, I think it was a mass homicide, not so much mass suicide. But Jim Jones, his son, Stephen, is uh, still alive and is interviewed. And one of the points he makes so profoundly is he's like, this could, have, this could happen to anyone. 
people think, oh, I would never fall for something like that. And he, and he says, you absolutely could and would. Jim Jones deceived high-level politicians, rich, affluent people, all the way down to poor people. I mean, it was, there was no uh, sort of demographics for which, you know, this person was sort of immune from Jim Jones or this. Everybody was drawn in by him. And I think that it takes some humility, I think, for all of us to say, you know what? I am capable of being deceived like that. And, and if you think you're not, I would say that's a danger sign. Um, I, that's something I think about all the time. So I think that's the first thing is to maybe just recognize, have some humility and say, look, I'm, I'm capable of believing something false. And then making sure that when we read scripture, when we analyze information and reality, that what we're doing is making sure that what we believe lines up with reality, that what we believe lines up with the truth of scripture and do our best to do that and ask for the Holy Spirit's help. And he will. Um, I pray that all the time. Lord, if I'm deceived about something, if, 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 I, if I had gotten this wrong, will you show me? Will you show me in your word uh, where I've gotten this wrong? And I think that that is probably the best way to insulate ourselves from being deceived is A, to recognize that we can be deceived and B, ask for the Lord's help and stay grounded in his word. I mean, that's probably the best way that, that I could say to, to go forward with that. Yes. Well, let me jump in here again. You've mentioned God's word as being the foundation, but we also have to study it and accurately understand it in order to apply it effectively. And many times we have Christians who talk about believing God's word is true, that it's inspired, and yet they either don't study it or they study it, but don't really come to any clear conclusion. They think that there could be so many different ways to interpret it, which way is correct. But I want to encourage people, when you get into any biblical passage, it's not like there are 50 different options to choose from. You might have a passage that has two or three different possible interpretations that you need to decide between, but this isn't some mysterious book that's so nebulous like a fortune cookie that you can never specifically discern what it means. Godly people over the generations have done the hard work of researching it, and you can too, and you can find out what it means and apply it effectively as well. So I just want to encourage you along those lines. One of the groups we like to encourage, Elisa, is our watchmen and women, those who watch, warn, witness, and seek to finish well and live out their faith in these difficult last days. So we always ask our guests to speak directly to our watchmen and women. What do they need to know about deception and how do they apply the truth as they've heard today? Yeah, and that's such a good question. And I just commend you so much for equipping people to be those watchmen because that's a tough job. I mean, I, th- I think it's a job we're all called to do as Christians. I think the thing I would leave people with uh, today is is sort of along the lines of, of what was just talked about in regard to interpreting scripture. And I'll just speak from my heart here. One of the things that can be kind of discouraging to me is people who err on either side. And what I mean by that is, as, as you mentioned, there can be several different interpretations for a particular Bible verse. But, you know, the Bible is pretty clear on the gospel. And so what I see happen sometimes is people might have websites that are that out of a good heart. They're dedicated to being watchmen. They want to warn people about falsehoods coming in the church. But rather than focusing on the clear parts of Scripture, like those gospel essentials and where maybe a false teacher might be teaching wrong things about that, they'll start to nitpick at people that might disagree with them on something a little bit that, that's a little bit more ambiguous, like what we might consider to be a secondary issue, and then start calling everybody a heretic or a false teacher because they disagree with them on 
maybe one of those issues that's not quite as clear. And so I think my warning would be don't err on either side. Don't become the person that's just looking for the error in everything. I think all of us, we need to interpret people's words as, as charitably as we can. And I've learned this kind of the hard way personally, like when I read progressive uh, reviews of my book and I, and I'm reading this and I'm like, what book did they read? (laughs) That's not what I believe. (laughs) That's not what I think. And, and I, and I can see what's happening is they, they want to hate the book. So they're going in and assuming all the worst motives and and assuming a lot of things about what I might believe. Um, And so I, I think that's a good warning for us not to do that, but also not to err on the other side of just sort of being a frog in the kettle. And it's like, well, I'm not going to judge what anybody says because it's just got their God's got them on a journey. It's finding that sweet spot. And the uh, analogy I like to use is a Newton's cradle. So I don't know if, if you've all seen one of these on someone's desk, but it's like one of those things you get at Sharper Image or the, you know, the Sky Mall magazine or something like that. But it's essentially these five steel balls that are connected to a string. And then you, you pull out the ball on the outside and it clicks in. And then the outside ball goes out and clicks in. And, and it just keeps going in some physics thing. I'm not a science person. But if you look at a Newton's cradle, that middle ball never moves. Uh, the outside balls continue to move and swing to one extreme to the other extreme. And I wrote this in the Mama Bear Apologetics book. Like, be that middle ball. Don't get moved and swung to a far position in response to error, but just respond to error from that that sound position where you're not moved. You do it in love and you do it biblically. And I, I think that would be my main advice. Well, that's some great encouragement to those listening today. I know people listening have been blessed by your information, and they would like to know more. Tell them how they can get more information about your work. Well, I I think my biggest platform right now is YouTube. So if you go to YouTube slash Elisa Childers, um, I, I've got a bunch of videos on there. My podcast is also available on iTunes and Spotify and Google. It's just the Elisa Childers podcast. You can connect with me on social media at Elisa Childers and ElisaChilders.com. Well, thank you so much again for being with us here today. We appreciate it. And to all those who are listening today, thank you for joining us here on A View from the Wall. We want to encourage you to go to IamAWatchman.com. Again, that's IamAWatchman.com. You can sign up for some free resources and enjoy some of our uh, latest podcasts, articles, books, and other resources to help you in your spiritual journey. Join us here next time on A View from the Wall. A View from the Wall, in association with I Am a Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth, sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip watchmen for such a time as this. For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit IamAWatchman.com. A View from the Wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am A Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at IamAWatchman.com and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time on A View from the Wall.